Keeping Your Joy, The Heartfelt Theology of an Isolated Prisoner. An isolated prisoner was the way I wanted to word that title, thinking about the kind of uh, isolation that a lot of us are experiencing. Only with Paul, it's a bit different. Keeping your joy, the heartfelt theology of an isolated prisoner. So Paul is isolated in a Roman prison. So it's not just that he can't get out to his favorite restaurant or he has to wear a mask. He is, he is in prison for doing nothing more than declaring Christ and he's facing his own execution. They're going to kill him. That's what I was thinking of when I thought of Paul as an isolated prisoner, keeping your joy in those kinds of circumstances. We've gone right through this book. Today we wrap it up, 22 weeks. What a marvelous text we have. The title is, My God Will Supply Every Need of Yours. My God will supply every need of yours. Philippians chapter 4, as we wrap up, 14 to 23. If you have a Bible, open it up, turn it on. If you're at home, get your Bible now. And let's study these great words together. Philippians 4, 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians, yourselves, know that in the beginning of the gospel... When I left Macedonia, so Philippi is in Macedonia. When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving. Just you, except you only. 16. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Thessalonica is also in Macedonia. 17. Not that I seek the gift. That's not it. But, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. He's in prison. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable, pleasing to God. And then, so we studied those words last week or the week before and now this this new part 19 and my god will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in christ jesus to our god and father be glory forever and ever amen and you think he's done but he's not 21 Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Brothers who are with me, greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's just pray. We love your word. As a church, there is nothing that we do that we treasure more than coming together opening up divine revelation from God, God's words, and studying them. Many of us know much of this text. We're familiar, but I pray that your Holy Spirit will keep the edges of truth sharp 
in all of our hearts and minds this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 14 is the closest Paul gets to a direct thank you to the Philippian congregation. It was kind of you to share in my trouble. So because of the closeness of his relationship to this church, he tells them something that he tells no other congregation. He tells the saints at Philippi, of all the churches that Paul planted and all the cities he visited, the church at Philippi was the only, the only church to help him out with his ministry on even close to a regular basis. That's what he says. Remember that. Remember that when you feel unappreciated in some ministry in a local church or some ministry for the Lord. Whenever you do anything for Jesus, let alone the great foundation-laying work of, like the Apostle Paul, whenever you do anything for the Lord and almost no one even remembers you're doing it, it takes a fair bit of contentment in Christ and patience for eternal reward in heaven to, to keep you going. I guess we can all learn from that. The fact that Paul continued joyfully receiving so little support, it shows how he had actually lived by his own words. In verse 11 and 12, not that I'm speaking of being in need, I have learned in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. The, the church at Philippi had made a practice of remembering the kinds of needs Paul might have as he took the same gospel he brought to them to others. In, in Paul's, Paul's words, they had entered into a 1-5. Philippians 1.5, and entered into a partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So it was continuous. It was consistent. It was ongoing, their partnership with Paul. Today's text tells us that even before Paul had left the province of Macedonia, where Philippi is located, they had already been sending support for his work. They repeated this support to him when he was ministering, he says, in Thessalonica. 15 and 16 of chapter 4. So they kept doing this, even after Paul had left. Think about that. Their hearts were so tied to Paul's heart and so tied to Christ's heart that even when Paul was out of sight and out of voice, they still felt their call to be part of his ministry, part of his mission. So, so out of sight wasn't out of mind. This is a church shining at its best, and it makes me think warmly about our World Impact Sunday. People will never even meet some of them, but they're doing the work. This is a wonderful thought process in this church at Philippi. 
It's one of the keys to authentic discipleship. They had the ability to hold their responsibility to the Lord in a conscious fashion, even when there was no one physically present to put on emotional appeal or financial pressure. It was just their devotion to Christ. The inward prompting of the Holy Spirit, the relationship with Christ was of greater consequence to their giving than just some external pressure of someone begging for money. Here's how I want to work through this text today. First, just so you'll know where we're going and and just more important, so you'll know that I know where we're going. First, I want to look at three principles of Christian living. That's what I'm going to look at first. I see those in verses 14 through 18. That's the first thing we're going to do. Look at three principles of Christian living. Second, I want to see how God responds to the generosity of these people. I see that in verse 19. And then the third portion of this message, I want to examine the hope that Paul holds out in front of this persecuted congregation. I see that in 20 and 23. So that's where we're going. So point number one, three principles, three principles of generous Christian stewardship and Christian living. Look at verses 15 through 18. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. It's for you. He says, 18, I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus. Remember, they sent this gift from Philippi to Paul with Epaphroditus. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice. So an offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. So here are the three principles I said we were going to look at. A, the support of the gospel beyond your own turf. I'm thinking of a church now. The support of the gospel beyond your own turf is the best indicator of spiritual health. I get that in in 15 and 16. We just read them. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left, so he's gone, I left Macedonia. No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. It's obvious, isn't it, that Paul, Paul, what moved Paul so deeply about the gifts from the church of Philippi, it's, it's that they remembered him when he was gone and no one else was thinking about him. And the reason this catches Paul's eye while important, is it's nowhere near obvious. Their support for Paul, while Paul was away, proved their loyalty was to Christ and not just to their own local 
benefit. That's why I said the support of the gospel beyond your own turf is the best indicator of a church's spiritual health. It's not the only indicator, but it might be the best indicator because it shows our love for people is rooted in how much Christ loves them. Even when there's no chance that they'll ever become a part of this congregation. So, so our giving outside our own turf shows we love Jesus, not just our own ministries. Do build your local church. Do build Cedarview Community Church. Build it as big and as strong and as vibrant and as well-organized as you possibly can. But don't just build your own church. Have the same passion to see people reached in other regions as you have to see them reached at home. That's the best proof that your motive for your ministry is Christ's heart, not just personal pride. I said there's three principles of Christian living in this first point. Here's the second principle. B. Generous Christian stewardship is the best investment for our money. I get that in verse 17. Not that I seek the gift. This is interesting, but I seek the fruit. I'm not sure I would have chosen that word. That increases to your credit. So if, if Paul were some kind of religious shyster, you, you might not believe these words. I mean, what he says he's most joyful about isn't the comfort he received from their gift, but the fruit they received from their giving. I believe, I believe Paul uses very important terms here. I seek, I seek the fruit, he says, that increases to your credit. I don't think Paul is, I don't think Paul's talking about piling up cash. You know, the scam, give a buck to Jesus and you get 10 back. It's not that. In fact, I, I think, I think Paul has already tipped his hand as to what he's thinking about with these words about fruit increasing to their credit. I think he's already given us a hint. If you were to look back at 1, 9 to 11, Philippians 1, 9 to 11. Look what he says here. It's my prayer that your, your love may abound more and more with all knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the, there's the same word, the fruit, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Or look at the same idea again in 125, where he says, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Progress. I want to, Paul says, I want to see, I want to see growth. I, I want to watch your relationship with Jesus, like fruit. He uses that word twice. I want to see it bloom. I want to see it multiply. I want to see it flourish. 
I want you to feel the joy of the life of this fruit unfolding more and more in your own skin. And then he says, generous stewardship is a key way that God piles up fruit in your walk with Jesus. You're listening at home. Your walk with Jesus. All through eternity, you'll be bumping into the fruit of your gifts in heaven. People you never once met on this earth, but who are eternal wonders of the new birth because of your sacrificial gift. Outside of seeing Jesus face to face, there will probably be no greater joy encountered on the streets of glory. Paul says, I'm rejoicing to see this fruit piling up to your credit. He uses that word, your credit. So, this was Paul's advice constantly to those who have any kind of abundance of earthly wealth. He talked about it in uh, 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. He says, as for the rich in this present age, isn't this word interesting? Charge. We usually don't do that much. It's advise, ask, plead, beg. Paul says, you, you find people who are, who are just doing very well, which is most of us. Charge them. Don't, don't let them get away from this. Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share and here's the same idea. Thus, storing up treasure. Now it's not fruit, it's treasure. Storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Because he says that because my wealth can lead me to think that all sorts of things are life, but he says they aren't. Teach them to take hold of what is truly life. What's he mean? They may take hold of that which is truly life, that 19th verse. I think he wants me to learn to use my wealth in such a way that through it, I chase after what is ultimately important. Fruit for Christ's kingdom. That's Paul's whole point. I'm to learn not to set my hope on 17, the uncertainty of riches, but to convert my wealth, he says, 19, into what's truly life. I mean, there's something really profound here. Of course, wealth constantly has to be converted into something else if it's to be of any value. Christians, non-Christians, atheists, this is true for everybody. Money only has value when you convert it into something. A house, a car, a cottage, a trip, an education, a business. In fact, if you, could, if you could never convert your dollars into anything else, what good would it be? Money's worthless 
until you convert it into something else. And the profound point of Paul's words is our lives will be smaller and less satisfying than they could be unless we learn the secret of converting wealth into the right kind of fruit. That's that 19th verse of 1 Timothy 6. Storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future that they may take hold of what is truly life. I said there were three principles of Christian living in this first point. Here's the third one. Gifts given to God's work are gifts given to God himself. Do you see it in that 18th verse? He talks about their gifts to him. He says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent. So he, he received it. But then he says this, a fragrant, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to, to God. The gift you sent me, Paul says, I know, you, I know you, you think you sent them to me, but you didn't just give them to me. It wasn't even primarily given to me, Paul says. It's been offered like one of those Old Testament sacrifices. That's the word he uses. The smoke of it has wafted up like incense to God Almighty, and he received it personally. Let that sink in. The gifts that you give, God receives them personally. It's a profound truth. It's worn dull by too much shallow hearing, probably. But God so attaches himself to the spreading of the gospel that gifts given to that cause, they, they actually pass into another dimension. Another realm. Somehow, it didn't just pass between the Philippians and Paul. It ends up being given to God himself. God receives it with delight. God receives it with pleasure. This is, this is how closely God ties himself to his work. The gift of the Philippians was a fragrant sacrifice. Acceptable to God. So there's three lessons. And they lead into the second main portion of this teaching. I said I want to talk about how does God respond to this, these three principles. So point number two, we're well over, we're three quarters done. Point number two, how Father God responds to the generosity of his saints. And here you get this verse, this problematic verse. My God will supply... Every need of yours, according to his riches in glory, in Christ Jesus. What are we going to do with? What are we going to do with that? Is, is it literally true? That's question number one. How and how is this supply of God connected to the? generosity of that church at Philippi. And here's something else. What about other promises where God supplies the needs of all people, everywhere, saint and sinner alike? I mean, that's in the Bible. Here, 
Matthew 5, 44, 45. I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So these aren't Christians, these persecutors. So that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, sends his reign on the just and on the unjust. Or you could look, here's another one. You could look at Psalm 145, 16. Psalmist just, just sort of... Uh, meditating on the bountiful care of God. He says, you, you, you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. There you have it. God alone is the one who every day satisfies the needs of humanity. He does it for all of his creation. And he does it all the time. People that acknowledge him, people that don't acknowledge him, breath, strength, food from the soil, children, family, jobs to earn money, clothes, oil and gas in the ground to keep us warm in the wintertime. All these things come, usually totally unrecognized from the good, giving heart of God who cares about our needs. So, here's what I'm getting at. What meaning are we going to attach to Paul's special promise in that 19th verse? My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Is this different or is that just more of the same? I think the answer is found in the context of Paul's whole letter to this congregation at Philippi. You see, the truth is we have other needs bigger needs than the ones I listed just a moment ago. Trials come. We know that. Paul writes from prison. Worries can nag the delicate fabric of our minds. Friends can turn into enemies. Bright futures can change overnight. We, we need some kind of joy. Keeping your joy is the title. We need some kind of joy that is unerasable. We need some kind of a peace that can guard our hearts and minds in the outward storm. We, we, need, we need a conviction that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. There, that's what we need. And there's no answer to any of those needs in any bank. They can't be found on any car lot. No real estate agent can satisfy that. No university degree can grant it. These needs are only answered through Christ in God. And God grants his supply to all who, in practical, costly, material ways, put his kingdom first. That's the link between the promise of verse 19, my God shall supply all your needs, and the fragrant offering, the sacrifice of the church at Philippi. Then Paul says, my God will supply all your needs. They're tied together. Only sacrificial devotion to the kingdom of God can so enrich a life. I said the third portion of this teaching, the hope. There's the promise 19, verse 19, the hope that Paul holds out in front of this persecuted congregation. 
Point number three, the final conquest and the hope of the gospel. I get that in 20 to 23, coming to the end of the book. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers, isn't it interesting? Paul's, he's about to die. He's about to be executed. And, and, but the tone here is not what you would expect, is it? To God the Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. 22, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Of all the things Paul spills out in these verses, there's one thing he wants them to note, and he, and he, and he even tells us that with this word, especially. So this is what's most important. When someone says, especially this, they're highlighting it. So here's the part that Paul would have underlined in his closing farewell, and it's where I want to just fix our attention for a minute. We, we might quickly just fly over this closing greeting, hardly noticing something that would have, that would have instantly uh, jolted the mental processing of these Philippian believers as they read Paul's letter. There's something they couldn't believe, though it, it doesn't jar us at all. Paul's especially... Especially those of Caesar's household. I want everybody to greet you, but please take note of these people especially. I mean, the significance of this would be the fact that Philippi was a Roman colony where devotion to Caesar had a long, violent, bloody history for the church. Besides having the gospel in common, Paul and the Philippians also had a common source of opposition and persecution. Paul's already talked about it in, in this very letter. In, in uh, This should be 1, 29 and 30, okay? It's Philippians 1, 29 and 30. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also, see this word right here? Also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and hear that I still have. So Paul's being persecuted by Rome, and he says these people, they're suffering the same kind of persecution, the same kind of conflict. He makes it very clear. So, Paul has just promised these Philippian believers God will supply all their needs in Christ Jesus, 419. Would he? Would he indeed? Now Paul, now Paul wants to give them proof. There are now Christians right in Caesar's household. The persecutors. Now, we're not sure. It's possible. Could Paul actually mean Caesar's immediate family members have come to Christ? 
We'll never know for sure. But the gospel was converting Paul's enemies and the enemies of the church at Philippi. God was meeting Paul's needs even while he was in prison. His life was bearing this amazing fruit. So so consider the impact of those words. The Philippian Christians were facing the 130. Same struggle Paul was facing. Same kind of persecution from Rome, from Caesar. And there were Christians who used to be their avowed enemies right in Caesar's household who were praying for the saints at Philippi. I love it. They're praying for the saints at Philippi. Paul wants to send their greetings to the Christians at Philippi. They were to use Paul's words, 320, fellow citizens of heaven with the church of Philippi. They were now waiting together for the same Lord from heaven. So yeah. Paul closes with the particular greeting that would prove his point. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. There's the proof. It would ultimately win the day, the gospel. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're up against. I can tell you how this ends. Jesus comes back. He will establish a brand new creation where he will rule and reign in righteousness right here on this earth. Indeed, to him be glory forever and ever. And everyone said, amen. Let's pray. We love so much your word, Lord Jesus. We, we love to see in actual, solid, historically factual events the triumph of the gospel and the proof of the truth of your word. Give us deep confidence. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so we've been 22 weeks keeping our joy Wherever we are, wherever we are, we're never out of your reach, out of your grip, out of your care. Your word is always true. We bless you for it. We give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen.